Today's episode brought to you by BossPods.com. Want a podcast like a boss? We've got the inside word on how to set up a podcast that's actually worth something. We've got the industry's best to show you how. BossPods.com. Podcast like a boss. You had, last week had your film Frisky screening uh, in Los Angeles through Australians in Film. Yep. How did that uh, come about? Well, I got, it's always these long chains of awesome things, I guess. So I had had a meeting at Screen New South Wales for the Emerging Filmmakers Fund um, just a week before I was going to the US. And I got to chatting to a couple of the development officers there who were just absolute legends. And they, you know, they heard that I was going to the States and they were like, you have to go to Charlie's. Um, which is the Australians in Film room that they have there. Well, it's actually several rooms and it's now another massive space downstairs too. It's this little um, uh, studio space within Rayleigh Studios, which is one of the oldest um, film studios there in Hollywood. So you feel like a bit of a badass when you go and, you know, <laughs> rock up in LA and and you go, oh, well, I'm just going to take my Uber to the to the Rayleigh Studios, please. And it's right across from Paramount. And you just, yeah, you do. You feel like a, a real badass. Um, so there I met Peter and Peter Ritchie, who runs Australians in Film. And I got to chatting to him quite a bit. Um, and I also run a film festival called Fresh Flicks with a good mate of mine, Jess. And we will be, there's so many details to this. Um, and we will be a part of Vivid this year doing an Emerging Filmmakers Conference um, as well as a little film festival that is largely Australian films called Fresh Flicks. Is that, um, that LA-based? So, so that's in Sydney, but I was speaking to Peter about it because he expressed a need for some Australian short films. He was like, do you know anyone who's got access to a ton of Australian shorts? I'm like, I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> So anyway, we got talking about that and just within conversations, I reached out to him again um, at the beginning of, so that was in December last year. And once we knew about our distribution for Frisky with Gravitas, they, they, we only had like about two weeks and that we knew our date from, they were like, okay, cool. We're releasing in two weeks. And we're like, what? (laughs) So I had to scramble and find a publicist and all sorts of things. So I reached out to Peter and was like, do you have anyone in LA that you know of who would be a good publicist for an indie film? And he's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll put you in touch with these different people. And, um, and then he's like, just, I was like, great. And you put me in touch with these people. And then a day later he goes, hey, and this is like a week out from the screening. No, it was less than a week out. He's like, hey, um, do you think maybe we should we should screen Frisky? We should do it. We should we should screen it because I'd been speaking to him about it before, just before the San Francisco premiere when I was in the states, and um, and yeah, so he jumped on board having not seen the film, <laughs> and he had watched the trailer though, and um, and yeah, yeah. So they he's just, yeah, Australians in film are just like the most supportive, epic group of people. Um, so much wonderful stuff and wonderful publicity has come from that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm so stoked.
Claudia Pickering is an actor, a director, a producer, a writer, and an architect. She's forged a tremendous and prolific career for herself with two debut feature films, Winning Formula and Frisky, coming into the world in 2017. For more information about Frisky, head to their Facebook or Instagram page, where you'll find it under Frisky Movie, or head to friskymovie.com, where you can find links to watch it if you're in the USA and keep tabs on when it's available in the rest of the world. For more conversations like this, like my chat with Claudia Pickering, head to comingupnext.com.au where you can download, subscribe and review this podcast. You do uh, quite a multifaceted entrepreneurial filmmaking actor. Um, (laughs) Between uh, all of the spaces that you've studied in, all the, the different... Uh, modalities, I suppose, um, acting, screenwriting. Uh, you you have a master's in architecture as well for some reason, um, <laughs> <laughs> and you know uh, now just learning about this uh, this uh, film festival that you run. It seems as though you are a tremendously uh, proactive um, artist, creator, creative, uh, whatever whatever label you want to throw on it i'd love to know if you remember when the very first time that you performed or wrote a script or put compiled something into a film or a play or something when you maybe in your childhood if you remember what that first kind of experience was i remember the first time i performed well it was probably not the first time i performed but the first time i remember performing um was (laughs) This is so random. <laughs> oh, God. Random memory. I'm like, I'm just going to give you the honest answer to this. Please. Um, I was in preschool. I have a lot of like quite early memories, which is strange. Uh, I was in preschool and I stood up at the front of the class. I would have been about four years old. And, you know, they had a little section every day or maybe it was every week. I don't know. Um for people to do little things for the class, like a performance time. And I got up and I was going to sing The Good Ship Lollipop, the Shirley Temple song. Mm. And I stood up at the front of the class and I remember standing there. I was so pleased with myself because I knew all the lyrics and everything my sister had taught me. And I had my hands on my hips and I started tapping my foot and singing the song. And I just remember looking over at the... um, at the two teachers and they were looking at me and looking at my foot tapping and giggling to each other because they obviously thought it was really cute that I had like this perfect little little posture tapping my foot and singing along to the song. But I remember stopping tapping my foot and sort of slumping and trying to get through the rest of the song because I'd been a little bit broken by them giggling at me. But apparently that didn't stop me. I don't know. Um, but it took a little second to circle back around into performing, I guess. So from there, was this something that you always felt a kind of burning passion to pursue? Was it something that you did through school or was it something that you kind of came to at a later point? So all the way through school, I played instruments, like I played piano from when I was five and you got to do performances for that. And I played cello from when I was eight 
and you know I loved being in an orchestra and performing in front of audiences and our orchestra kicked ass like we won everything and it was just oh yeah just the that feeling of playing with a group of people like that there's nothing there's actually if you haven't been in an orchestra or a band like a big band it's there's absolutely nothing like it um so I guess there was certainly that that got me massively buzzed for that feeling um and then all in when we actually started having I was dancing doing ballet oh my god actually now that I'm thinking about it I haven't really reflected on this before (laughs) oh okay so I guess my sister who's three years older than me she was doing ballet when I was you know when she was like five and I I would turn up to her little ballet classes to pick her up with mum and I'm a two-year-old and I insisted that I had to be in the ballet class (laughs) as well so they put me in there and like in my little froggy costume because I don't know the first performance we were all frogs and I couldn't do any of the cartwheels I could do these little roly-polies on the ground (laughs) but I still wanted to be a part of the show so yeah I guess I started doing that dancing stuff from like way back I'm not a good dancer let me be very very clear about that (laughs) um but I just (laughs) really liked performing um yeah and then I would do I would do plays and things I, I somehow managed to I'd I'd always get the lead in in like year five and six I'd always get the lead for the theater shows but they'd always be guys they'd be like I would play there was a there was a show called the little black snake and the giant goanna I played the giant goanna um and there was a play called Davy Jones's locker and I played Davy Jones um so those were my two big play performances I was also doing a thing called tournament of minds which was all just essentially geeky kids who wanted to write scripts yeah I was a tournament of minds kid it was like I got in there both years oh it was so good and you had to make all of the sets and like all of your props and everything out of their little list of just random junk that you would buy (laughs) and um yeah, so that I was like hugely, hugely into it. Then come high school, come year seven, I was like so interested in boys that all of that fell by the wayside. Like everything totally fell by the wayside. I was like, oh, I started actually, I mean, I was still doing lots of music and stuff, but that by the end of high school had really, really whittled down. And like I wasn't applying to be a part of, different shows I got so so into dudes and like partying not like crazy crazy partying but like I was so interested in being social that it all kind of disappeared um and then got so massively into architecture when I was in um at university you nothing else exists when you're studying something like architecture it's um very much all consuming and everything becomes about it so it took me going over on exchange and living with a, another a fellow architecture student from, well, also an Austrian dude who my sister is now married to his brother. On a side note, um, but a fellow another a fellow architecture student who um, was really really obsessed with the Backstreet Boys, right? Mm. 
I'd actually started doing a bunch of really, really random modeling stuff, which is really not my scene, but I really got into being on set with a bunch of people, but didn't really think to do any acting stuff. But it was like working on these projects with people and conceiving these ideas and then doing all this photography work that then um, when I realised and was chatting to my my mate who was from Macau and she was obsessed with the Backstreet Boys and I was like, I grew up obsessed with the Backstreet Boys. And I'm like, how am I going to meet the Backstreet Boys? And then, <laughs> this is no joke. <laughs> you, should hear, you should hear my rationale behind um, deciding to do architecture. It involves MTV, MTV cribs. Right. Anyway. Um, you know, you've just got to have that moment of inspiration. It doesn't matter how just drenched in pop culture it is. Um, anyway, I was like, how am I going to meet the Backstreet Boys? Why don't I still, I'm like, I, I need to get to Hollywood to meet them. And then I'm like, why don't I act anymore? I used to act all the time. My university that I study architecture at UNSW is a part of like, it, it owns NIDA, like the National Institute of Dramatic Art. Why am I not doing courses there? So I started doing courses there and then boom, suddenly I'm like acting in everyone's short film, like everyone, like all the, the applying for all the student shorts. And then I got a scholarship to go over to the States and like do more acting. And then that, I met Anna over there, started being a filmmaker. And that was, that was it. The, I don't know. That was a really, really long answer. Sorry. No, no, that's, that's perfect answer. <laughs> you, you said you studied at NIDA. Um, I also noted that you studied at uh, the New York Film Academy and trained a lot and um, I assume worked a lot with the Upright Citizens Brigade. I mean, these are some pretty impressive uh, uh, institutions, but also they're offering quite a diverse uh, education, I suppose. NIDA, as you said, is more focused on dramatic arts. New York Film Academy, I believe you were doing script writing. An upright citizen's no, brigade. No, NYU. I was doing script writing. Right. Sorry, my mistake. So NYU, you were studying um, script writing. An upright citizen's brigade is, you know, uh, an amazing kind of comedy improvisation. I guess is is it a troupe? Is it a is it a school? I'm not a hundred. It's a school. Sure. Right. It's a school. Uh, what was the kind of thinking behind creating so much diversity in in your um, in your education? There was no thinking. (laughs) (laughs) I just did what I felt like I needed at the time. Um, So when it came to... I mean, I, I started off with NIDA because it was the only thing that I could think of at the time where I was like, how am I going to sneak to do acting so I don't have to tell my family that I'm getting into acting. Mm. My family are awesome people and awesomely supportive, (laughs) but it was more of like an ego thing for me to be doing this little, this, this little dirty side project, I guess, compared to focusing on architecture. I can't tell you how much of an influence architecture's had on everything. Were they, um, Um, were were your parents supportive in, in that kind of period or were they, would they kind of consider it to be like a hobby more than a career path? Total hobby. I mean, she didn't, my mom didn't know about it for a long time because I was sneaking, I I literally lied to her. She, for no good reason. I totally lied to her. I was like, oh, I'm going to NIDA to do, um, and I did do a a TV presenting course there for a bit, but I also did an acting, a bunch of acting stuff. Um, But I told her the whole time that I was doing a presenting course for the purpose of making my, architectural presenting better which was 
I mean, right. it is useful in that. Yeah. It fully is, but that's not why I was doing it. Um, so, yeah, there was that. Um, and then and then I'm, you know, starting to work in these. I started applying for every short film, like short student film I could do that year. That was 2009. Um, and And then this audition came up to go and do to get a year a year scholarship to go to uh, New York Film Academy in Los Angeles um, at Universal Studios and I was like I'm gonna go to this <laughs> but I'm gonna like go to this audition but it's like I don't know it's a massive long shot and I got there and there were all of these and I'd done just some short courses at NIDA because I was I was full-time architecture and um and I, I rocked up at this audition and there was there were these people who knew words about acting that I didn't know and they all knew each other and they were all like it was it was totally out of a movie how actory these people were. I was like, oh, you're what actors are, not me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I don't know, maybe they liked how rough around the edges I was, um, but I, I got the scholarship. I feel like I nailed the audition. I was like, yeah, I really brought it. Got the got the um got the scholarship and had to leave within 2 weeks because I didn't actually want to do the year long course. Um I couldn't because I had to finish my final year of masters. Um so I went and did an intensive course over 3 months over the summer, the Australian summer. And um yeah, I can't remember what my point was. Where were we going with this? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Why did I – why the hell did I choose to do these things? Yeah, so I, I only did that because I got the scholarship for it. Um, but it was awesome. It, and that was like a real all-round filmmaking thing. It was supposed to be all about acting, but very cleverly that course was designed to give you a little taste. And you're working with the intensive filmmakers at the same time. So you, you're meeting filmmakers and, and getting to chat to them about their – what they're learning and you're also like doing these classes that like with we had Adam Nimoy like Leonard Nimoy's son who's a director <laughs> teaching us about directing and film craft and all sorts of stuff and we're That's like awesome. oh here's all this stuff we didn't intend to learn about that we're learning about and of course I'm there I've met like my just heterosexual life partner Anna um who is who's just the biggest legend and we've just ended up being massively like a part of each other's lives and and we started a comedy production company together and made a whole bunch of content together so yeah we we just got the the we we got the what's it called bitten bitten by the bug to mm. start writing and start creating and from there I'm like oh shit I don't know anything about screenwriting and so I was like enroll in an intensive at NYU um and also or I'm I'm living in Los Angeles why am I not doing why am I not taking advantage of you know you've got this perspective as an Australian where you're like I need to take advantage of this I'm here that's why I, I went and did Upright Citizens Brigade because I'm like come on like I can't do this when I'm back home so I better better get learning here um so that's why I was doing that also did some other stuff up in San Francisco I'll tell you what improv is good for anyone though that's like gets your brain working in incredible ways Mm. So when you started, um, yeah. <laughs> sorry, go on. No, I, I don't know what I was going to say. I think I was just going to rant <laughs> some more. <laughs> rants are good. I like rants. Oh, God. 
So when you met Anna and you started creating your own content and your own uh, stuff, you know, you made a few web series and before you made Frisky, you made another feature, Winning Formula. So it seems to me as though, uh, you know, you're a very self-motivated creative. Uh, It seems as though you're not someone who's just going to wait for the phone to ring. Look, I feel like having come from an acting background in the world of of all of this stuff, the idea of having someone else controlling where my career is going to go really does not appeal to me. And that, that is the, the nature of being an actor. Um, you got to wait for the phone to ring. You've got to go to auditions and hope someone likes you. And it's like, I just don't, I can't, I don't want any of that. (laughs) So I, yeah, why not just make your own stuff? And if it appeals to you, obviously there's going to be a bunch of garbage in there, but if you, particularly with comedy, if you think it's funny, someone else is going to think it's funny. Um, so yeah, just why not just make stuff? And then, then you've got yourself a portfolio of work that's only getting bigger and only getting better. And then people start using words like prolific about you and you're like, Oh, I just do indie (laughs) stuff. Um, but yeah, like you do end up with this massive body of work. And I mean, why not? If you're an actor, if you're an actor or a filmmaker, you love what you're doing. You want to be practicing it why are you why are you waiting you've got like a phone in your hand you could do it with um yeah that's how i feel about it i just just froth for it and want to do it all the time <laughs> <laughs> i think one of the most impressive things about you know creating all this stuff all the time prolifically is that you know you're operating from a space of having almost no money and relying on the goodwill of of others um, to kind of come on board with your vision and your um, your ideas, uh, I suppose with an, with the um, with all of your work in mind, but I suppose particularly Frisky. What's been kind of the process of creation, and then you know raising the money, producing the film, and then getting it in front of audiences? So. It's very, it it has been like, you know, with this whole prolific thing we've been talking about and having (laughs) made a bunch of stuff and proven that I can make stuff and finish it and get it out there. Um, That was a huge help for pulling cast and crew on board for Frisky because I'd made a bunch of stuff for no money. Um, I'd also, I also had Winning Formula going through post-production, which from making something with no money, I'd met the EP for that, that then gave us money to do Winning Formula. Um, so did and you self-fund uh, Winning Formula? No, no, the EP funded it. Oh, sorry. He, he, I literally, okay, so very, very quickly how that happened was Anna and I had written a, a, a pilot for a TV show called Dead Broke. Um, we'd also written a feature length version, but we couldn't afford to shoot it. Well, it turns out we probably could have, but yeah, we didn't think we could afford to shoot it. So we, we raised via crowdfunding $3,000, most of which came from her boyfriend at the time <laughs> and, and like 500 bucks from my sister. Um, we raised $3,000 and we shot that like handy cam style, this, this, uh, pilot. And then we got the funding 
to shoot. Um, no, that's not true. Well, so then I was screening that and one of the guys that came on to um, re- be a PA really and a location helper um, for Dead Broke, the pilot, um, he was like, hey, I've, I'm starting a production company. I've got a bunch of money and I want to invest it in a feature film. Do you know anyone with a good script? And I was like, hey, the thing you just watched today, Dead Broke, we have the feature length version of that script like pretty much in my hand right now (laughs) like do you want it and so I I handed it to him and my visa was about to run out in the US I was like a month away from my visa running out and he was like cool he read it he's like this is funny I want to make it um and so he I went back to Australia and then he sponsored me like we had like a three-month turnaround I rewrote um dead broke the dead broke script to the point that it no longer could be called dead broke because it didn't make sense um and had to be changed in name to winning formula and we yeah we came back and we shot that um which went really really well and then we had this beautiful trailer cut for ages like it's literally only just getting distribution this month and it was made two years before frisky and frisky was made two years ago it's just been a really, really long post-production process um, for one reason or another. And, yeah, so the fact that I had a feature already under my belt with a trailer to prove it and the quality of it was so high, when I then took that and all of my other work that I'd done in terms of little web shorts and things like that to San Francisco and was like, hey, who wants to make a feature film? I've got five grand in my back pocket that I've saved up from architecture because I worked in architecture again up in San Francisco for nine months, um, waiting for Winning Formula to go through post. Hmm. Little did I know how long that would take. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I it wasn't hard to pull people on board. Like I had, I had, I wasn't like, oh no, I can't find a producer. Or, oh no, I can't find a DOP. Like I found a DOP within like two. It was within a day or two. Christiana reached out to me, and I had a few different people reach out but Christiana was just a total no-brainer she I was just like that's she's the one she's the one and um yeah yeah I don't don't know then then I guess yeah it was five grand of my own savings um and I just spent it in places I was very very upfront with everyone was like hey this film is going to, the budget is five grand for production and post. Like, this is what we're doing. If you want to get on board, you're not going to get paid up front. You're going to get a profit share um, that is relative to the amount of time that you've spent on the set. And I, that, I don't care what role you're in. I don't care if you're the DP or you're an extra. Tell me how many hours you've spent working on this project. And that's, you know, as a whole, a, a, your percentage of the profits. So... Um, yeah, that's, that's how I did it. And I tried to, I tried so to spend the money. you made Frisky for five grand? Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, you didn't know that? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't realize that that was what your budget was. That's quite incredible. Yeah, our budget's five grand. Um, and now it looks like, you, you know, well, now we've obviously got distribution. It's available. <laughs> it's available. Um, um, like iTunes and Amazon and all of that stuff. Um, in the States and Canada and it'll do its Aussie release in uh, May, I think, of this year. So, yeah, it's like, great. It looks like, at least in the long run, um, once we've done all the territories and things, 
we'll make the money back and everybody will get a nice little cut. So it's good. It's looking good. That's amazing. <laughs> so what was your, how long was the production period? Uh, we shot for 14 days. Wow. Not long. But I didn't want to take, if you're not paying people, like you can't ask them to be away from work for massive amounts of time. It's like the director of photography, you like, this is a huge thing to have in a reel. It's a feature length film and, and that's fine. Like she, I can, I, I feel more comfortable asking someone who's got more to gain credit wise out of it, um, to do the film for the full amount of time. Um, we had our, our first AD was a film student and it was her like winter holidays. So she totally had the time. We did it in the first two weeks of January. Um, so she, she totally had the time to do it. So I didn't feel awkward asking her to do that. Um, and the actors, no one was there as much as I was in terms of being an actor. So it's like, they all still had time to have their jobs and everything. And I scheduled around their jobs and whatever else they had on. Um, I always make <laughs> poor old Brandon. He's always <laughs> the butt of my <laughs> comment when I say we were in the middle of, um, we were in the middle of shooting and like, you know, everything was going really well and it was, it was all really great. And then Ohio state university got into the national championships of football, American college football. And of course, Brandon Wardle, who plays Sam, which is one of the leads, he was like, Claudia, I can't miss this. I think his words were, I've waited my whole life for this <laughs> or something like that. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, changed the, the live schedule around it, um, even though we only had a handful of days left um, so that we could shoot his scenes out and not let him miss the national championships game. They won, by the way, so it was worth it. And that <laughs> became the movie. And that was the movie. Um yeah, so scheduling around people was a very important thing. What were the what were like the biggest challenges on a day to day basis? Oh, just oh, I'm not sure. It actually, didn't at the time. At the time, it it was just like I guess sticking to schedule. We although we were very we were very good at that. It was just like keeping on going and like keeping your energy up. Although when I'm on a set, I'm just on this just insane nervous energy that just like explodes until the end of the day. And then I just have this huge slump into bed and then you do it all again the next day. Um, but in terms of challenges, I mean, we were shooting at my house a lot of the time and at friends' houses, we were shooting, um, you know, I guess we were a bit worried that we were going to get busted um, shooting with no permits all around the streets of San Francisco. But that, like, after doing that for a day, we were just like, oh, no one cares. <laughs> we're doing this. <laughs> this is fine. It's not like shooting in Los Angeles where people will fine you, like, on the spot um, for holding a camera in public. Um, I got a fine so in Melbourne uh, making a short film for having some lights on, on the street. Oh, no. See, another thing and the that fine I did. was like half um, our budget. <laughs> ah! Yeah. So it's all about wearing. Um, I made sure 
<laughs> One of my little things was if anybody's still got any film school stuff with them, like their student card, like if they still own any of that stuff. And we had students with us who were from the um, San Francisco State Uni who were doing sound. So we were like, cool, we've got some film students with us. So this could be a, a student film. Um, and I, I had some of my old knife gear and like all sorts of stuff. I was like, just in case I'll throw my hat on and they'll think it's a New York Film Academy thing and no one's going to find a film student. Um, so yeah, that was, was terrible, but whatever you do what you can. I can't remember what the question was now. I went off on a tangent again. Oh, oh difficulties. we're talking about challenges. Yeah. Challenges. Yeah. Well, that never ended up being an actual challenge, but it was just something we were, we were aware of. Um, it was just such a beautifully smooth shoot. It really was because everyone was so keen and just, it was such a community that that was that apart from the day that one of the SD cards that we'd recorded onto in an outdoor spot that we had no, um, no permit for in Golden Gate Park, the SD card just died. Um, that was a challenge. <laughs> we didn't reshoot though. We managed to recover the data oh, that's uh, after a very lengthy process. But um, that, that, was a, that was trying emotionally for me, <laughs> very emotionally trying. What, what, were you, uh, what did you shoot on? Uh, we shot on Canon 6D, um, two of them at one point, but mostly just on the one. Shoulder mount. Um, the lighting setups were all super basic. They were like fairy lights because the whole film is set at, like in the holiday season. Um, there were lots of fairy lights, like Christmas lights. Um, there were, you know, china balls. We tried to shoot mostly in the daytime. Um, but, yeah, super basic lighting. Um that was our that was our setup shoulder mounts and china balls yeah wow so what i suppose if you if you could go back to the start of the process again what advice would you give to yourself uh that might make the whole process a little bit more simple or straightforward or do you feel as though you you probably wouldn't change anything i would definitely have budgeted to give Christiana the DOP massages every so often because she had a shoulder mount on her shoulder for like 14 days Um, and she was definitely feeling it by the end. Um, Would I have changed anything? Probably not. It is what it is. Um, That's such a stupid, pointless thing to say. It is what it is, but um, no, I get it. Really, it's it. It was such an experimental project. It was like the because I mean you can always go back and tweak things, but the whole beauty of Frisky is that it is kind of raw. Like it was one um, one draft of a script. Like I didn't write a second draft. I was like, this is the honest version of the script because it was all based on little things that had happened in and around my life and I was like well if I if I change it too much then we're starting to get a little bit contrived and all of that so I'm like nah keep it raw keep it as is obviously I went through um and did I read the script and I took out a bunch of swearing (laughs) that was the second draft the less sweary version and um but yeah I mean and and shooting it super fast 
shoulder mounting the whole thing so that we could shoot it fast um, and and shooting it on DSLRs and all of that stuff. It does, it feels raw, but then it feels like, it feels honest and it feels like you're there. And it's little, it's little quirks and it's little crappy bits where me as a director, I go, oh, why? Like, ah, oh, like little moments where it's like, oh, that could be so much cleaner or this or that. I'm like, do you know what? That no one else cares. And I'm just, I'm the only one that cares about that. And it probably adds a little bit more to that sense of it being real to everyone else. So, you know, you've just got to, it's like, I guess, with people who get tattoos, you'd be like, this is a part of my life. This is a thing that I did and I stand by it, you know? Um, and I do, I totally, I totally stand by it. And I don't think I would go back and, and tweak it. Although going through post-production, you're there going, we should have done this little tweaky, silly bit a little differently. And like when you do end up, like I said, it was two years ago that we shot it and we've only just got distribution. You do have to watch it a lot of times. You watch it a lot and you're around it and you're like, oh, oh if it was, if I'd have done it this year, it would be like so much bigger and so much greater. But like I said, it is what it is. And that's, um, that is the beauty of it. How important is it for you, or do you think how important is it for any rider to be riding from their own experience and being truthful and, and honest? I mean, you, you can carry reverence with that, but how important is it, do you think, to, uh, to, to be truthful in, in what you're creating? Um, well, to use, to use my two feature-length film um, as an example, um, winning formula is not truthful at all and it's really slapsticky and just ridiculous and it's it's those it's the moments where it is where it does feel true and honest and it's it's been written from a a point of view of you know what it feels like to have a a deep conversation with a best friend it's those little moments that people actually like out of winning formula and all the rest of it is sort of hit or miss in terms of just the ridiculous gags and jokes and stuff it's a totally different film um, uh, Frisky has been written from a really honest place and has been received incredibly well because of that honesty um, and I think that is definitely to its credit I personally love to write from an honest place although I do write a lot of sketch comedy at the same time like although you're writing these ridiculous scenes that are so stu so stupid in some cases, it's it does have to come from an honest place. Or people call bullshit. They're like, that's not funny. Like it's gonna be funny because it's true, you know. It's not like, oh, here's this ridiculous thing. It's like, n no, that's not. It, I th I think things are much funnier and they resonate with people so much more if you can feel that sense of honesty in them. Um, I know some people are incredibly good at writing like sci-fi and everything, but you know, there's the classic, write What, you know, even if you're writing sci-fi or you're writing fantasy or you're writing whatever, it's like, you're still drawing human emotions that you have learned from your life. And if you are writing stuff that are not from that, that you've never felt or you've never tried to feel or sat and like contemplated and put, put yourself in those shoes and then 
effectively felt those feelings like an actor, I guess, um, then I don't know how you could possibly write something that feels genuine. Yeah, people, people like in a time of of Instagram bullshit and 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 just general social media people pretending to be something that they're not. Um, I think that's why Frisky has been received so well is that people are finding it like a breath of fresh air to see something that's honest and, and like genuine and not, um, not trying to be bigger than it is. Um, yeah, that really resonates with people for sure. Not a hundred percent sure if I answered your question, but that's my answer. (laughs) You answered a question. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I suppose further or kind of a step further than the actual writing of the script, you know, you've thrown the word prolific around a few times. What do you kind of, what's your take on the idea of just putting stuff out there, you know, and, and doing it consistently, not try not striving for perfection, but striving to create a prolific body of work? I 100% get behind that. I do. I just had a conversation. It was a year ago, actually now, with a filmmaker who he was like, oh, he was a, he's a videographer for ESPN. Um, and he's like, and I went to film school and I have this stack of like five, no, six short films that I'm super, super proud of. All of these films and they're all so great. And, and I, I really, really want to make them. Um, and I'm like, cool, just like pick the best one and make, why are we having this conversation? (laughs) You know, like make one, make, so make one. Um, and he was like, oh, and he had this full on freak out. He's like, but I need it to be perfect. And I want it to be amazing because it's going to represent me as a filmmaker and it's going to be my calling card. I'm like, bullshit, you know, like. Sure, if you're lucky enough to be one of those people who gets like handed a great budget or whatever, or you just strike gold and on no budget for your first short film or your first feature, um, good on you. Like that's that's awesome. But like you're the only person that gives a shit if you made a crappy film. Like apart from the person obviously giving you money if that's how you've done it. Um, like you need to practice like you have to make this stuff and you need to see how it how it flies with other people um what how people receive different stuff because you're not writing for just you you're writing for an audience and while if you find something enjoyable to watch or read on a script or or perform someone's likely someone else is likely to enjoy it um you do need to actually see how audiences receive your work so you have to make stuff and you need to be able to suck your pride up and just go, okay. Cause it is, it's like putting your art out there sucks. Like you, you're terrified and you're like, Oh God, people are, some people aren't going to like it. Of course, some people aren't going to like it. Some people don't like Harry Potter, you know, and everyone likes Harry Potter. <laughs> it's like, come on. Of course. Some, like if, if, if there are people that don't like Harry Potter, there's definitely people that aren't going to like your work and that's life. And you better get used to it because if you're gonna if you're gonna move into this field, you're gonna have to get used to putting it out there. And the more stuff you've made, the better you're gonna get. And the more you're gonna realize what it is that you like about filmmaking and what it is that you like to write or you like to perform or you like to direct. And like 
you need it's fun to have a body of work that evolves because you look back on it and there's some really great stuff you know where you're like wow this was really just completely misled but really great you know for for what it is and it'll be fun you know looking back in 50 years at the end of a long and wonderful career as a director going hey look this is this is where I started you know don't don't try to make the first thing perfect because you're not it, I think it's arrogant to think that you're going to make a perfect film the first time well and what even is a perfect film really you know it's there is a, no such thing yeah exactly <laughs> uh, it, and I think if there were I mean one of the great things about art and I'm using that term broadly is mm. that it's divisive and that people will have opinions that will be either positive or negative, but the point of it is to start a conversation, regardless of how it kind of impacts your personal ego, you know? Completely, and to make people feel something. As long as you make people feel something, it's all worth it. Yeah. Was this something that you've kind of learned from doing or was there a teacher that kind of taught you that? Well, I'm, I'm curious to know how you just came to just start making stuff um yeah uh, well now that I think about it <laughs> I guess it goes back to well I mean certainly the whole tournament of minds thing back in year five and six would have helped that mentality and generally I've been I've been the sort of person to just go with what I reckon's right um but in terms of making art and just moving forward boldly with ideas um, I would say I had a really great art teacher in year 11 and 12, Mr. Hayes, who, who was really, really encouraging of all of that kind of thing. And my first year, um, design student in architecture, who was all about, um, essentially just like spitballing by creating, you know, um, he'd be like, oh, you've got like a idea for a concept, make a model of it you know, and just make a shit model, <laughs> like just, just mm. make something, make a collage, make whatever, mm. just make something. And then, you know, you've explored at least part of what it is. Um, and maybe you want to come back and explore it more or maybe, maybe you won't, but yeah, my, my very first design teacher, um, in architecture definitely taught me that, that kind of mentality and just to be completely unafraid of it and to just, just, express yourself like with I, I realized because when I was when I was doing my master's I was teaching first years how to draw how to use like photoshop and indesign and all of that kind of stuff but there was this thing where they'd get there and they'd freak out about drawing they're like I can't draw I'm like you can lift up a pen and you can write right and they're like yeah I'm like then you can draw it's just like whatever come you, you you've just got to accept what comes out of your hand and and that's your style you know and then you can hone that but you've got to get something on paper so we'd do these exercises where it was like cool everybody be like oh, I can't draw I'm so bad I'm like here's an apple we're gonna draw the apple but we're gonna draw the apple like five we're gonna draw it 20 times and I'm gonna give you different amounts of time to draw the apple in the first time is gonna be one second to draw the apple and then it'll go up to two seconds then five seconds then 10 seconds and it's like you just, you draw this complete garbage, but <laughs> you'd then go, oh, it's actually, maybe it's about the gesture and you start seeing what it's, what it's actually about. And you stop being so critical of yourself. Cause you're like, oh, this isn't about the way the ink comes out of the pen that I'm holding. 
it's it's about how I'm seeing the world and then expressing it. Was that a very strange answer? Maybe. Uh, it was it, w- it was it was abstract, but I really enjoyed it. And oh, great! <laughs> I think it's uh, I think it's pertinent, you know, because it is really about those kind of things that shape and mould you, uh, that kind of give you that thrust later in life to you know to follow through or to not follow through or to strive for perfection or to strive for um, being prolific or whatever that may be. You do have to make little bits of garbage to be able to make <laughs> big bits of good stuff. Yeah. There's, got, there's always going to be chuck outs. There's always going to be chuck outs. And sometimes you'll show them to people and it'll be embarrassing. <laughs> but that means, do you know what? If you get embarrassed, that's great because it means that you're not this enormous ego. Mm. Um, and you need in, in the arts and if you're telling real stories about people, you need to be able to check your ego all the time. That was a huge thing, changing from architecture to going into like a comedy film career. It's like such an ego problem, um, like dilemma, I guess. Not telling people, like when you introduce yourself in a social setting and you're like, hey, I'm, a, I'm an architect. Or, well, I mean, I never actually got registered, so I'm, I'm an architectural designer. What, no, they'd be like, oh, what do you do? And I'd say, I'd work in, I work in architecture. And people would be like, oh, blonde girl, clever, you know, and you get this like, I don't know, really satisfying response from people where you're like, oh, look, I'm, I'm this professional and I, I, I look like I'm, and I look like I'm this, I don't know, silly, ditzy blonde girl, whatever, which gives me the shits anyway. Um, and people think that, but then I'd love to sort of, you know, trip them over and be like, oh, by the way, I work in architecture and people are like, oh, shit, oh, oh, you're, you can, you, you have the ability to do stuff. And I'm like, yeah. Um, and then to turn around and have to stop saying that to people, like I had to consciously go, you don't say that to people anymore. You don't tell people that. You go, you tell them you work in comedy and that you're a director and people are like, oh, oh you work in in comedy do you and initially that was I actually didn't say director for a long time I would say filmmaker and people would be like oh so you don't make money (laughs) and I'm like uh yeah I don't um (laughs) and and then finally like after doing frisky I'm like no I'm a film director like I make films and I've made a successful film and I'm continuing to develop other successful projects and this is what I do I don't do architecture I get paid to make film stuff now um, it was a total ego thing initially, but now I've sort of realized that there is a little bit of space to, it, it, it actually feels really good telling people I'm a director now. They go, oh, that's so cool. That's so much more interesting than my job. I'm like, I love my job. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. How, how do you define success? And I suppose as an extension of that, how would you, how will you f- know that, Frisky and um, and Winning Formula have been successful films. Um, I mean, for me, getting a five thousand dollar film distribution, <laughs> or like getting a five thousand dollar film into a handful of festivals, even before that, felt incredibly successful to me. I was like, great, it's been screened, people have seen it, people have liked it, uh, people have gotten something out of it. They've felt like they've they've got a little voice within that. Um, it's resonated with people 
that is a successful film for a $5,000 film. Um, and then obviously distribution, it's like, hooray, we're going to make the money back. Total success. <laughs> um, and like seeing the cast and crew sort of sharing it and being able to tell their friends and family that they were involved in a project like that, that to me in that kind of scale of project for sure is successful. Um, so, I mean, it's going to, it's going to profit, which is something that a lot of films don't do. So that's, that's really good winning formula. I mean, I'll be happy because it's been going through bloody the post-production and distribution process process for so long. I'll be happy for it to just get out there and I'll feel like it's successful <laughs> at that point. It's just the relationship you have with the film, I guess, that you like, you just have to weigh your goals up. Um, project by project um, you know and it, it's like if you do a web short and you're like you get a few thousand hits on it you're like yes that was successful I mean things can be wildly successful and get a few hundred thousand hits um, but I mean you've got to with with I guess viral videos you never know what's going to hit and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't for me it's only like mildly caught on with with a few different videos. So I guess there's, I don't, I don't like to put a number on success. Success for me is like a, a feeling with regards to your relationship to that project um, where you, you feel like, I don't know. I, I don't really like to regret stuff except not going to the Michael Jackson concert when I was in year four. <laughs> Huge regret. I the think o- a lot of people fact, have that regret. I think I was in no, year five or I six. I had tickets. Well, you I had, had tickets, tickets. Right. I had tickets and my sister took four friends. My, my, my dad had somehow got tickets because he's just like one of those people who just, he's a real salesman and managed to like wrangle some tickets. Oh my God. Anyway, I sat outside in the car and listened to it because I was like, oh, my ears are too sensitive to go in. Oh, biggest regret of my life. That's anyway. a bit silly. <laughs> <laughs> I digress. How will you know, I suppose... At the end of your career, how will you, if you were look, if you were to kind of project forward now, what would you look back on and consider to have been a successful career? Um, having made a bunch of films that made people feel something, and made people feel like they have, like they're they're understood by someone maybe or something like that yeah have, I, I think that's I think that's it having made a bunch of films <laughs> that I'm proud of you know films that I'm like yeah that that's an honest film that's a that feels that feels like a it, you know how you sometimes watch a film and you go that was bullshit <laughs> I don't want to make them I don't want to make them um but yeah if I've if I've made a whole bunch of of honest films, I would feel pretty, pretty great and pretty successful, particularly in an environment like the Australian film industry, um, where people are, it is small. I mean, any film, Los Angeles is small and I wasn't even a a part of the studio system there, but everybody who is, is always like, it's small. We all know each other. I mean, same thing goes for Australia. And people will, you know, people will help each other. And I, I want to be able to also 
help each other. I love mentoring and stuff. I just mentored a, a mate to make her first no budget feature and it's um it's super satisfying if you can like pass on the love it's just all about being good to other people hey mm, totally um, be be kind pass on share the love grow someone yeah i think it would definitely add to that feeling of success if i could help another filmmaker become successful with like in in my you know, use my momentum to help that happen too. Mm. Or lots of them. I don't know. That would that would feel super cool too. Got to send that elevator back down. Oh, massively. Send a bunch of them down. Send like a big bank of like corporate massive, you know, like nine, ten elevator section <laughs> down. Yeah. Hospital-sized <laughs> elevators. That's right. The big ones. The ones yeah. that you can, yeah, put gurneys in. Because people <laughs> will be fainting from how good the films are. Yeah, that's right. And how connected they are to the honesty. That's right. Yeah. Well, Claudia, it's been awesome chatting with you and great to connect with you. Uh, I end every conversation with one question, which I suspect you will not be short on an answer for. And that question is, what makes you silly? What makes me silly? What makes you silly? Oh, I don't know. I just... I just get really excited about stuff. Stuff that get me excited make me silly. Stuff that get stuff that gets me excited. <laughs> that was not English. Stuff that gets me excited makes me silly. I don't know. I'm uh, just there's just always fun stuff happening in the world. You know, even having a little silly conversation with someone, or just a, just a regular conversation with someone. There's always um, there's always silly stuff in there. You got to stay silly because. You know, if you're not, if you can't just laugh at yourself, sometimes you're gonna have a really, really hard time. <laughs> I think <laughs> life will certainly be earnest. Yes, yes, indeed. Thank you so much, Claudia. Oh, it's been wonderful chatting. <laughs>